night, church. Uh, so glad that you're here to join with us on this Sunday evening. We had a, uh, a wonderful, wonderful morning this morning, and I'm so grateful for uh, what God did in my heart and what uh, what the Lord did in, in our church this morning. It was a, a wonderful service. Man, you sang well. Um, I believe that um, I believe that today I, I really think that this was one of the best song services as far as just the way people sang today. People were singing. And I know that God spoke to my heart uh, in the song service today, and I hope he did yours too. And then just the fellowship and the preaching. I had our second week of starting point class, and uh, we have uh, 30 in that class looking at uh, church membership. And I'm just, just very grateful very humbled and very grateful for what the Lord uh, is doing and what the Lord did this morning. And uh, so maybe uh, take just a second, check in, and uh, and maybe put something about what God did in your heart today. Uh, it was just a wonderful, wonderful day. And I want to say thank you to everybody who stayed and uh, helped with our uh, Spanish fundraiser. Uh, I know that uh, many of our, our families in our Spanish ministry are very grateful and uh, their children are able to attend our academy and this helps offset some of the cost. And so we're just very thankful for um, your participation and your love and grace and kindness uh, to, to be a part of that. And uh, we, we thank you for, for being a blessing. Uh, we we uh, are looking forward to uh, school starting tomorrow. Uh, well, some of us are, I'm sorry kids, uh, school start tomorrow, but It'll be a great day. We're excited. We're anticipating a great school year. And so I would encourage you uh, as a church family to really pray for our school. Pray for our families. Pray for our teachers. Uh, pray for the students. And just pray for God's protection in our academy that uh, we would be able to have uh, the, the liberties and the freedoms and all the things that, that are, are required to adequately teach and educate um, our kids in a biblical worldview with a solid foundation in academics and preparing them for life to come. And so pray about that. Uh, also, I, I know men, we were kind of a little bit rushed today, but I did meet with a number of you outside um, right after the service and uh, was able to give you a little bit of information about Rocky Mountain Men's Prayer Advance. Uh, there's still time to register. And so uh, if, if, I'm gonna put some information in the school, in the church office. And so if you wanna call um, this week, we can help you get registered. There was some confusion on registration, but we can help you with that and get you registered. And then we'll work out, coordinate times to travel up. And it starts on Thursday evening, it's Friday and Saturday morning. And so uh, you'll be, I think, finished up uh, uh, early uh, in, in morning or first part of the afternoon to be able to get back home. And so it's be up in Estes Park. It's a beautiful place. And so men, if you want more information on that, call the church office this week and we'll, we'll direct you and help you to it. Um, and we look forward to spending some time with our men and really growing in our faith and, and fellowshipping together. So uh, and plus, you get to hear your pastor preach at least once. And thankfully, there are other preachers there, okay? And it'll be a blessing. Um, and so you don't have to hear me the whole time, I promise you. 
I don't want to, I, I want people to go. I don't want to disappoint you, but it'll be a great time. So pray about that. See if the Lord would have that for you to do September 8th, 9th, and 10th. Rocky Mountain Men's Prayer Advance. You can go on the website and you can search that and uh, and look at look at those dates and, and a little bit more information there. I'll be finding in your Bible 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we're, we're looking tonight at uh, this passage of scripture specifically uh, here in verses 5, 6, and 7. We're going to see some things tonight that I think will be very important for the time in which we live. And we want the Lord to speak to our heart tonight. Uh, we're going to go to prayer for just a moment. And so take just a second, check in, and, um, and, and maybe share something that the Lord did in your heart today. Uh, we we want to be in prayer for uh, for our dear folks. I've, I've just learned today of a few things that um, of, of in some of our families I did not know had occurred. And so, um, but be praying for your church family. Be praying for for those that need healing, uh, those that uh, are discouraged and um, going through some difficult times of loneliness. And there's a lot of hurting hearts. And as a church, we need to be. Um, we need to be learning through that. I want to encourage you to be in an adult Bible fellowship. That's just a great place to connect, to build relationships, have opportunities to serve other people in there and, and, and to be aware of other people's needs. So Sunday mornings, 945, be in a church, uh, be in an adult Bible fellowship and then worship with us in the 11 o'clock service. And, uh, and then Wednesday night, man, I really encourage you to come on Wednesday night. We'll be kicking off Awana's here before too long and we have some really good things planned for the families and for homes and for teaching on some things that are so relevant to this day and age and so I want to encourage you to make Wednesday night a part of your um, your weekly routine be at church fellowship with God's people assemble with us in the middle of the week and we have time of prayer meeting there that night and uh, and and I know that for some that might seem a little awkward to come to a prayer meeting if, if you've been in a church that didn't have prayer meetings. Like, what is what what do I have to pray in front of people? And and we 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 will help you. And we'll um, uh, we have groups of families or friends or um, and, and we give you some guides to help you what to know what to pray for. And you don't have to pray in front of public people. You don't have to make a public prayer or anything like that. But just meet with God's people, be equipped in His Word, and then spend some time with your family or a friend or um, somebody right there with you that you can pray with. And I know, I know that will help you in your faith and growing in the Lord. So be there this Wednesday, seven o'clock, and it'll be a great blessing to you. Uh, let's pray. Father, I pray these next few moments as we open your word, Lord, we pray that you'll speak to each of us where we are. Uh, I thank you for the power of your word. We're gonna talk about that tonight. What a great and effectual work this word does in the hearts of those that believe. And so, Father, I pray that you would, you would speak to us tonight and give us, a, give us a great time of fellowship in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope that with your family there tonight that you do uh, really spend some time enjoying that family, especially right before school starts and um, really building and growing in your relationships at home. And uh, I know that God, God has called us to live out the Christian life at home. And so let's, let's live that out faithfully. Look in your Bible tonight, 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter's writing this as really his last epistle. And he's making the, the, the charge to be authentic Christians. What does it mean to be an authentic Christian? You know, we live in a world of, of plastic and 
um, fantasy and fake. Uh, it's an artificial world. Much of what you see on social media is artificial. Much of what we eat is artificial. Um, you know, we just live in a very artificial age. And uh, the, the call for Christianity is a call to uh, being authentic. And Peter describes that in chapter one as being partakers of the divine nature. You can't be a Christian until you have the life of God in you. You must be born again. And you have to be saved and you have to have the life of God in you. And once a person has been born again, and we're born again by grace through faith, not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. It's through the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary when we come to understand our sin and our need of repentance and our need of salvation and we look to Jesus Christ by faith, we take him at his word and we believe on him, he saves us. And he, he gives us a new birth, a new heart, a new nature, a new mind. It begins a transformation process in us. And we begin now to live this life. It's, it's, listen, it's so important that in this world today, we have people who are, who are demanding to live a life um, in which they were not born. You cannot live something if you were not born as something. Um, I, I have about as much, about have about as, as much possibility of living today as a mountain lion. I could go to the mountains and I could live in a cave and I could chase hikers and I could uh, try to catch a deer and eat it and uh, all those kind of things that mountain lions do. And I could emulate that and imitate that and pretend to be that. But listen to me, I would be a very cheap imitation and trying to pretend to be something that I have not been born to be. There are many people who are living as Christians. They assemble with Christians. They talk like Christians. They, they dress up like Christians. They, they move about in society as though they are a Christian, and they're, but they're living a life in which they have not been born into. So, so this, is the, this is the challenge. Peter said, uh, authentic Christians are partakers of the divine nature and we've been saved. And then he said, and then we grow in that. And he really expounded on what he wrote in that first epistle when he said, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away. But this is the word. Uh, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel was preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. What was Peter saying? You've been born again by the word of God. The word of God endures forever. You've been given an eternal life by the word of God. You've been born into this. Now, as a newborn baby, put away things that are not authentic to the Christian life. Hypocrisy, envyings, evil speakings, all those things that don't belong. And as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And so this is what Peter now expands on that, being born again, living the life of a Christian and growing in the life of a Christian. He expounds on that in 2 Peter chapter 1, partakers of the divine nature, new birth, and then adding to that faith, 
virtue and temperance and brotherly kindness and godliness, all those qualities that we're growing in. And we grow in this Christian life. Remember, God did not just save us to get us into heaven. God saved us to get heaven into us, to conform us to the image of his son. God has one son and he loves him so very much that he he wanted another bunch of sons just like him. So he saves us and then he conforms us to the image of Christ. And that's authentic Christianity, growing to be more like Jesus. And so Peter explains all of that, making our election and our calling sure, walking in confidence, walking in assurance, all of that in chapter one. And then he said, now listen, if we're gonna be authentic Christians, we better be very aware of false teaching. You can't be authentic and be walking in something that's false. So he warned us about the false teachers in chapter two. He warned us about what they're doing. They, they magnify sin. They're walking in their lust. It's all fleshly driven. It's all, it's, it's man's best cheap imitation of God's real salvation. That's what false doctrine and false religion really is. And Peter warned as new believers and as Christians, don't fall prey to the false doctrines, walk in truth. And now he's gonna bring this all together in chapter three, as he says, I wrote this second epistle unto you to stir up your minds. Look at this both in which, verse number one, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful, that you might have a mind filled of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, that's the Old Testament, and the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, that's the New Testament. Knowing this first, So here's what he said, I want you, I'm writing this to stir your mind up, to wake you up and get your mind filled with the word of God. Why? Because that's the life of the believer. We have to know the word of God. And he said, I want your minds filled with his word, Old Testament and New Testament. And he said, and I want you to know this first, that 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 there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire, against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, what Peter's gonna really drive home in this is the importance of authentic Christianity in light of the coming judgment of God. There's, God is coming in what the Bible calls the great day of the Lord. Uh, when he comes back in judgment and the day of God, when he comes back and he uncreates this world and he creates a new heaven and a new earth. And then we are in that day of God where he shall be our God and we shall be his people and the tabernacle of God shall be with men and we will dwell with him. He will wipe away all tears from our eyes and we, there's no more sorrow, no more death, no more pain, nothing like that because the former things are passed away. Behold, I make all things new. Now that's what we have to look forward to. And Peter's saying because of that coming, the coming judgment in the coming of God destroying this world and burning everything up with fire, 
We need to be living in light of that day and living authentic Christian lives. And we need to really evaluate the life that we're living today in light of that coming day. Evaluate the life that you're living today in the light of that coming day. Listen, Christian, it's not just enough to be a good Christian in this day. We need to, be, we need to make sure that we're living to give an account in that day because our God is coming and he's coming in judgment and he's coming to, to uh, bring us with him into that new world and that new heaven, that new earth. And that's as real as the day is long. It's coming. And Peter's saying, this is why we need to be authentic. In fact, we'll get to this down the road in a few weeks, but watch this very carefully. Look down in verse number 11. He's talking about, uh, he's talking about the, the heavens and the earth passing away and the elements melting with fervent heat. And he says in verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God? Now, Peter is saying that day is coming and there's going to be an uncreation of all of this. And because of that, what manner of persons ought we to be? Well, we ought to be authentic. We better live holy lives and godly lives and living life in light of that coming day. And so uh, this is incredibly important. We talked about the scoffers. The scoffers are coming and they're part of the prophecy. Uh, they're part of the prophecy. Before the Lord comes, the scoffers will come. And those scoffers have been here saying, where is the promise of the coming? It's been 2,000 years. Where is he? When's he coming? And, and Peter's gonna give us answers to all those questions. But first, I want you to show you what Peter takes the believer to because this is our foundation and has been the foundation all the way through this book. He takes us back to the word of God. He, remember what I told you last week that the scoffers, they said, listen, God, God does not intervene in the course of history. Since the very beginning, all things have continued as they are. God doesn't care. God's not intervening. He's not intervening in history. He hasn't done it before and he won't do it in the, in the days to come. And Peter said, that is not true. That is not true. He said, in fact, I want to take you back and I want, you to, I want to show you that where is the promise of his coming? It's in the word of God. And how do we know that God intervenes in human history? Because we have the word of God. And Peter is stirring up our minds to the word of God. He wants us to rest on the word of God. Look, the world can mock it. They can shame it. They can, they can try to destroy it. They can distort it. They can even ignore it. But the Bible is the word of God. And it is the foundation upon which you and I as believers stand. And if you ever get your eyes off and your footing off the word of God, you will fall. And so this is what Peter is saying. He said, look, these, these guys are talking about how God does not intervene in, human, in the course of human history. And, and they're going all the way back to the beginning. He said, all things are continuing as the same. It started and it's running the same and God is not intervening. And it's not the case at all. And they completely, and we talked about this last week, they completely ignored his first coming. They ignored the virgin birth of Christ. They ignored his sinless life. They ignored his death. They ignored his his, his burial, they ignored his resurrection. And if they ignored his first coming, no wonder they're gonna be willingly ignorant of his second coming. And notice the Bible says they are willingly ignorant of this. Look at verse five. For this they willingly are ignorant of. Now, 
that what is ignorant what does willingly ignorant mean? It just means dumb on purpose. It, it means that they are by will choosing to ignore what God is doing and has done. Now, you cannot take an honest look at human history and not see the hand of God. You can't look at the natural world and creation and not see the hand of God. So Peter takes them back to two events to show them that in the past, God did intervene in the course of history. And because that same word that in which he did that, we have the same word that he will again intervene in the course of history and he is coming. And, and Peter points us to two things. Number one, he points us to the creation. Look at verse number five. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Now, what is Peter talking about? He's talking about two events. First, the creation. That by the word of God, God created the heavens and the earth. If you read the account of Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and God said, and God said, and God said, let there be light and there was light and God saw the light and God called the light day and the darkness he called night. God saw the light that it was good and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the heavens. And God made that firmament. In verse number, down in that chapter on the third day, God made the dry land appear. And all the flowers and all the trees and all those things that grow out of that dry land. And God saw the dry land and all that he had made. And God saw that it was good. On the fourth day, God made the sun and the moon and the stars. God set them in their courses in the, in the heavens. And God saw that. And he said, let the sun be the greater light to rule the day and the moon, the lesser light to rule the night. And the evening and the morning were the first day and God saw all that he made and it was good. And on the fifth day, remember he made the fish and the fowl and God said it was good. And then on the sixth day, God made the creature and then he made man and he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul and God saw all that he made and it was very good. And this is, this is the creation. God made this world by his word and everything in that original creation was good. Why was it good? Because it was made by the word of God. And God is good. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good. Uh, the psalmist said, the Lord is good. All through the scripture, we see the goodness of God, the goodness of God, the goodness of God. Our God is good and he made everything good. Do you know that when God made this world in the original creation, everything was good. And man had freedom, had freedom of will. Man had freedom to walk with God. Man could walk with God in beauty and harmony. He could fellowship with God in the cool of the day. What a privilege man had to walk and talk with God. But then man sinned. Man chose to sin and the sin of mankind plunged that perfect environment and that perfect world. It plunged it into the curse of sin. And listen, Genesis chapter three said that 
God could not allow men in their sin to live in a perfect environment. Men could not live in a perfect environment in their sinful condition. Why? Because they would just continue to live forever in their sin. So Genesis chapter three, verses 14 through 19, God said, cursed is the ground for thy sake. God said, out of it, you're gonna have to earn your bread with sweat. There's gonna be thorns and thistles. You're gonna have to toil in that. I've cursed the ground for your sake. Why? So that, so that you can see the curse of sin and the pain of sin and come to me for salvation, for redemption. It was man's sin that turned the goodness of God's creation into the groanings of God's creation. Listen, that's Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight, that all creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Not willingly, by, by the will of him who subjected the same in hope, God subjected this world to suffering and pain in our sinful condition so that it could be subjected to hope salvation and redemption and reclamation. And you say, why did God do all of that? Well, God's ways are higher than our ways and God's thoughts above our thoughts. And in this little session tonight, we don't have time to get into all of that. But I will tell you this, suffice it to say this, is that God knew that when he became a creator, he was gonna have to be a redeemer. And God knew that if he were to give men free will so that men could love him, he was gonna have to afford men a choice, an opportunity to choose. And if man was going to have the opportunity to choose, man was gonna have the opportunity to be lost and to be in sin. And so man did choose at the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And man chose himself over God. He chose to please his flesh with what was good. He chose to please his eyes. He chose to please himself with, with what he could have and what he could be. And man fell into sin. But God also was tested of that tree. God was tested there. Man failed his test in his love for God, but God did not fail in his test to love man. And while we were sinning, God was demonstrating his love to us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God had already worked out that plan of salvation so that men could come to him for salvation and be restored. What a beautiful thing salvation is. What a mystery Oh, the depths and riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Who can know it? And we need to glorify God for his plan, even though we don't even understand all of it, but we've been redeemed and we've come to him by faith. And men have willingly scoffed at that. They've blamed God for all the evil in the world. Well, if God was so good, then why is there this? Well, there's this because of our sin. And God is standing here ready to save us and redeem us. And, and I wanna tell you, God is blamed. Satan has blamed God from the very beginning. It was the woman that thou gave me. Man has always blamed God for his sin. But here in this passage of scripture, listen, man has turned this, this, this creation from that goodness into groaning, suffering and travail. Man has, man has depleted this planet. We have wasted its resources. We have worn it out. I wanna just tell you the earth is tired. But now man is not gonna destroy this planet. I know that people think, and by the way, it used to be that pastors and evangelists and preachers were the preachers of doom and judgment, but now today, sociologists preach doom, ecologists preach doom, scientists preach doom. They all see that this, this world is coming to a cataclysmic end. We've been warned by um, 
uh, by the atomic physicists that, that, that there's coming a day of a nuclear war that's going to destroy the planet. And I want to tell you, there is going to be a nuclear war. And when you read Second Peter, it reads like a modern day um, a chemistry book, like an atomic book. He talks about the elements are being melted down. The very elements, the atomic structure that makes up all of matter is going to melt with fervent heat. This is a book written 2,000 years ago speaking of atoms and the meltdown that's coming, but man will not push the button. Listen to me, God will push the button. The power of God's word spoke this word into creation. That word of God is holding this creation in store for his judgment, and by that same word, this creation will be judged. And that is the power of the word of God, creation. Notice what he said, uh, not only not only the creation, but I want you to see uh, verse number verse number six, whereby the world that then was, creation, being overflowed with water, perished. Now he speaks of that day of judgment of Noah's flood. The day of judgment. There was a day that God created the world by his word and there was a day that God judged the world. Genesis chapter six, God overflowed this water with a, uh, this, this earth with a worldwide flood. Uh, the Bible teaches here that the earth was standing in the water and out of the water. Back in those days before creation, we don't know exactly what it was like, but we know this, that the way that the world was then is not the way that the world is now. We're living in, in, in the remnants of a judged world. We're living in a, in a planet that bears the marks of judgment. Uh, God did not create the planet. The Bible says in Genesis chapter one that the green herb covered all the face of the earth. I really believe that the waters of the earth were contained in subterranean water chambers. We had great water in the depths. I believe that God had, had, had uh, put this earth on the waters and then I believe that there were waters above the earth uh, in the firmament, in the, in the atmosphere. And, 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 and the flood was a cataclysmic event that completely changed the entire structure of the planet. Today, we have mountain ranges uninhabitable. We have desertization of the planet uninhabitable. We have 80% um, uh, of the earth's surface covered with water uninhabitable. Uh, there's only a small percentage of this planet that is inhabitable by man. And, and it was altogether changed. The fountains of the deep broke up. Massive, massive amounts of water rushed up through um, what we now call fault lines and, and uh, the waters above the earth came crashing down in a very cataclysmic way on this planet in an act of God's judgment. And it totally changed the face of this planet. And we know this, that the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. That world perished. That world perished. And then he says in verse seven, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by that same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire, not water, but unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So Peter takes us to creation and said, God acted in the course of, of history on the day of creation when God stepped out into nothing and spoke into nothing and created everything. And then God acted in human events when God stepped into the world and judged the world in its sin. 
when God saw the evil of men only evil continually and the wickedness and the violence and, and the debauchery of men so vile that God destroyed the planet. There were so many things that were going on with, 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 with satanic forces and demonic forces and God judged the world and he destroyed it. This planet is a remnant just a leftover remnant of what God had originally created in his original creation. And we're living in a, in a, in a perished world, a world that life is hard here and sorrow and pain and struggle. And, and, and this is the world that we're living in today. And Peter reminds the people, hey, hey, scoffers, where's the promise of his coming? It's in the same word that created the planet. The promise of his coming is in the same word that flooded the planet with water. And it is in the same word that is holding this universe in store, in reserve, to the day of judgment with fire. And you can rest assured that the same God who made it and the same God who, who, who judged it in the flood with water is the same God who sent his son Jesus to die for us and sent us the plan of salvation. And he is today trying to convict and draw men to himself. And there is coming a day when that same God is going to come in judgment and perdition and damnation of ungodly men. And he is not this time with water, but with fire is going to destroy the heavens and all the works that are in it are going to be burned. They're gonna be burned. And all of that is held in store by the word of God. The Bible tells us, the Bible tells us in John chapter one, that in the beginning was the word and the same uh, was with God and the same was God. Uh, the Bible says that all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made, he made it. Colossians chapter one tells us that, that by Christ and by his word, he created this world. And, and, and he said, and by him, all things consist, all things are held together today. All the, all the nucleuses uh, and electrons and protons revolving around those, elect, uh, those nucleuses in, in atomic structure that make up all matter, all of that consists by the word of God through Jesus Christ. And there's coming a day when that same word by which he made it and the same word by which he reserved it, that same word is going to judge it with fire and destroy it. Now, what's the warning? What's the warning? Okay, what's the warning? Well, the warning is to, to the believer to wake up, stir up your mind, get your mind filled with the word of God. Let that same word that created the heavens and the earth, let that same word that judged the heavens and the earth with water, let that same word that will one day judge the world with fire, let that same word that is now holding this world in place, reserving it to judgment, let that same word be the word that fills your minds, the same word that you live by, the same word that conducts your conversation, the same word that makes you a godly believer in Jesus Christ. It's the word that conducts our lives. It's the word that controls us. It's the word by which we view the world around us. That's the power of the word of God. Peter here is saying, listen, believers, I want you to be authentic. I want you to know that you're saved, chapter one. I want you to grow in that salvation, chapter one. I want you to be aware of false doctrine, chapter two. 
And I want you to be alerted to the fact that there will be scoffers and there were going to be, there's going to be major attack coming against the, the, the word of God. But I want you to remember the word of God. And I want you to hold to it and stand on it and rest on it and live it and let it live in you and let that word of God be the source of all your life and all your power and let it conduct you as a believer and let it transform you as a believer and let it cause you to be the person that you ought to be as you look toward the coming of God. Uh, look, 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 we're living in these days. We're a believer. The only thing that you can really stand on is the word of God. Today, truth has fallen in the streets. And the very thing that this world is trying to obtain, they're trying to have justice, they're trying to have equity, they're trying to have judgment, they're trying to have all of these things. The world wants an equal, just, uh, fair world. And yet they're trying to do all of that without truth. And Isaiah 55 tells us that when truth has fallen in the street, with it go justice and equity and judgment. Everything the world is trying to get, everything the world is trying to avoid, they're becoming. Everything the world is trying to get, they're getting the opposite. Today we're, we're speaking about social justice, but where is justice without truth? The world wants equality, but where is equality without truth? There has to be truth. And believer, the world is just grasping at anything and everything that it can find to find meaning and purpose and value, not realizing that they are moving headlong into judgment. And we are to live by the word of God. And we need to be reminded, we need to be reminded, where's the promise of his coming? It's in the promise of his word. And as surely as he made this world, as surely as he judged this world in Noah's day, as surely as he's holding it in reserve today, as surely as he will judge it one day, it's coming. It's the promise. Well, then where is that promise? Why hasn't he come yet? We'll look at that next Sunday. We'll look at that in detail next Sunday. Where is it? When is it? When is he coming? Where is he coming? Why hasn't he come yet then, says the scoffer. And believer, what do we do in this uncertain age? We stand on the authority and the certainty of the word of God. I don't, real, I don't think that many Christians realize the power of God's word in their hand. The power that it has to create and recreate. The power that it has to give life and then to give life more abundantly. The power that it has to judge and to judge supremely. This is the word of God. And can I tell you that in this book, all of his promises are yea and amen. And you can stand on those promises. And believer, we need to learn to live by that word because all of this universe is living by that word, held in store by that word, been spoken in. That sun that you see in the sky, it was spoken in by that word and it is being kept by that word. He spoke it into existence and he is preserving it and one day he will judge it, all of it, by the word of God. So what is Peter saying? He's saying, I'm writing this to you to stir up your mind, to fill your life with the word of God. Let's be students of his word. And let's live in it, walk in it, believe it, teach it, and let God use it in our lives and the lives of those around us. Because God desires men to be saved and God desires us to tell them. And we're gonna see that in the next couple of weeks. Let's live in the power of God's word. 
Father, I pray that you'll take uh, the message tonight and Lord, it'll burn deep in our heart that you have given us the inspired, preserved word of God. It's infallible, it's without error. We hold it, we live it. Lord, I pray that we would fill our minds with it. Peter was writing this to stir up our minds, that we would have minds alert and full of the word of God. Lord, teach us to be people of the book. May what Paul wrote to the church of Colossae be true of us, that we would let the word of God dwell in us richly. Lord, I pray that we would stand firm on your word in this very, very uncertain age, that we would stand on your promises. We would rejoice in them, believe them, hold to them, walk in them. And Lord, I pray that we would declare your word to those around us. God, be with your people this week. Bless in all that's going on, the, the start of school. And as we go into this new season, I pray that you'll bless us. And may we be directed, 